is from Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. This may be short, guys, but it's, it's powerful. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Being a father isn't exactly what I thought it would be. So my thought of being a dad and my dream was sitting in my den, nestled in my wingback chair with a pipe and a book, my children coming to me to glean wisdom from me and tell me their problems, like leave it to beaver, and Father knows best, this would be the greatest years of my life. Oh, Father, I can hear my daughter calling out. Yes, my dear, I reply. Can you please fix my roller skate tire? It fell off. Why, yes, my sweet, I would be glad to. And then my son would come in with his baseball glove and ball. Hey, Dad, would you like to go play catch with me? Of course, my boy, we have moments before dinner. Then Holly beckons us from the front door. The table is set with a roast majestically sitting in the center, and we sit down at the table and proceed to serve the evening meal. Afterwards, the kids wash the dishes, and we sit around the television with our dessert and watch I've Got a Secret with Gary Moore or Jack Benny, and the night passes calmly and quietly. And this is my life for the next 100 years. Nobody gets sick and nobody ages. It's just simply simple. But that's not life. <laughs> that's not come true. When my kids need me, it's usually to referee them. I sit in my wingback chair, usually not able to get through a chapter without being asked a question or told to kill a spider immediately before the sky caught falls in. While washing the spider guts off of my hands, I hear a yell throughout the house that dinner is ready. My ears do perk up and I head to the table and there, just like most nights, is some sort of chicken and a bean. The kids are loud and complaining about dinner. And without fail, at least one of them ends up spilling something. And then bedtime, finally, some peace and quiet with my wife. And whoever else decides to constantly come down, refusing to go to sleep. It's at this point that I realize I was born in the wrong decade and I am horribly lost. But this is my life for good or bad, and it is without a doubt the happiest years of my life. 
and I would not trade them for anyone else's or anything else's. Being a father is just swell. Obviously, <clears throat> all of that is tongue-in-cheek. I really do love my life. And I really wouldn't trade it for anyone else's. And I know that there will come a day when I will miss those spills on the table. There will come a day when I will miss the noise throughout the house and the refereeing and the spider killing. There are, from what I can tell in Scripture, in my limited study of this, two times that we are informed of God's title by God himself. Now we have many names for God that's revealed to us in Scripture, but it seems that I can only find two that God actually gives himself. He does refer to himself a lot, saying, I am the Lord your God. The key words in that are the first two, though. I am. The Lord your God part is actually referencing his authority. Not a name. In God there is eternality, mercy, goodness, omnipotent grace, omnipresence, holiness, omnipotence. Eminence, righteousness, immutability, self-existence, justness, sovereignty, Lord, transcendence. Just name a few of the attributes. And I've also noticed that in certain denominations, the uses of the names of God and the attributes are used interchangeably. This is not a mistake that I think we need to make. But there's something else, too, that people tend to do is they take these attributes of God and they personalize it. And they say, this is God's personality. This is what God's like. And that too is also wrong. Because what God is, God is. And these attributes are not just personalities of God. They are God. And God is them. But I want to focus here today on all these attributes and all this perfection and all this power and all of this holiness of God. But what I want to focus on is all of that and that the great I am calls himself your father. There's a bit more to my current testimony and what I shared a few moments ago. At night when the sun goes down and the monsters in my mind come out to haunt me, I often lie down to sleep and restlessness bends over my bed. A vague uneasiness, a nagging sense of some tension unresolved. The door to my soul swinging on its hinges. The stirring of an unquiet conscience. I relive the day and I see why. Prayers hurried or skipped. An evangelistic opportunity avoided. In selfishness, I ignored someone and thought negatively of them because they did not fit into my 1950s bubble. Grievances I have nourished, self-promoting words snuck into conversations, and precious time 
squandered. My pearls cast before swine, my words falling on deaf ears, and yet I keep speaking. Encouragements, unthought and unspoken, and as the old prayer book says, I have left undone the things that which I ought to have done, and I have done the things that which I ought not to have done. That's just me being honest with you. And then I focus, and I ask myself, did I bring glory to God today? I ask myself in fear, was I walking in a manner worthy of him? Sometimes I drift off with such questions unresolved, fitful and self-approaching, yet tired enough to succumb to sleep. Only in the morning to ignore the sins of my past and the business of the day, hoping that when night falls again, the fight won't be so painful. Am I alone? In this? Does these nights sound like yours sometimes? Am I alone in my tear stained pillows? Does something in my plight relate with you? What do we say at the end of such days when we feel the raging sea between God's kindness and our unworthy response? For sinners like us, there is one gift that rises above the rest. And that's the holiness of God wrapped in flesh and placed on the cross. God gave up his son and the darkness came like the night that we fight. And then morning brings glory of the gospel. But according to Hebrews 8:12, he no longer remembers the sins of his people. He no longer sees them, that they are buried, hidden, unseen, and kept forever in darkness. They do not exist anymore to God because they are on Christ, covered in his blood. But our gross and disgusting sin, it doesn't always feel buried or hidden or unseen. The enemy hovers over us. Demons constantly surround us, not because we are good or because we are bad, but because we are his. The worst thing that you can do as a saint is to live your life in such a way that you ignore the fact that the world's scariest beings are constantly attacking you. Demons surround your house, your marriage, your kids, your work, your thoughts, and yes, your soul. Your soul. Demons surround your house, your marriage, your kids. They know you. They know your they are your enemy. They know your every weakness and they know the time of day when you're most likely to fall. But God, but God, your Father holds you tight. 
Your soul belongs to him. And while the enemy can attack, they cannot win. And while they surround you, the great I am stands between them and you. If we continue to read in Exodus, we see this beautiful passage where the Israelites are coming to the Red Sea and the Egyptians are following them and God is guiding them by a cloud during the day. And do you recall what happens? As the Israelites are approaching, the cloud comes down and stands between the enemy and his people. God stands between the enemy and you. Your father sustains you with favor morning by morning. We go out into a foreign land strengthened and renewed, but all too often we approach home in the evening and we dig in our pockets, wondering how we could have taken so much out and brought back so little. And the cycle continues with work and family getting all of our energy and our thoughts while we approach the all-powerful God with fists full of wind. Have you tasted the kindness of God? Have you seen the cross and what it cost? Because those fists of wind can either ignite the flame or blow it out. The sun sets on the day's regrets with no way back in time to remedy them, leaving us with a thorn-pricked soul a blanket of self-reproach, a smoldering conscience. And on nights like these, some simply try to sleep their guilt away. Others search for some realization. Still others pray, but not in a way that douses the raging fire in our minds. But it's when the night is at its darkest. It's when you are at your loneliness. that your soul hears a whisper. I am here. That's my testimony. Is it yours? In the midst of anxiety over bills, in the midst of worry over the future, in the midst of sorrow over our sin, he remains the same. He remains. And in our response to our day and regrets, God does not give us more work, but he gives us rest. Our Father closes the soul's eyelids, binding them and bidding them be blind to the day's confessed sins. And our work has been pitiful, but his work has been a perfect work of sanctification in you. Here, we find a rest that sleep cannot provide. His name forever and thus he is to be remembered throughout all generations as the great I am.
our scripture today. That's the gospel. And he carries us from morning to evening and we move from favor to favor, mercy to mercy, kindness to kindness, power to power, glory to glory. But which of these two shows more love, the day or the night? The question is easily answered. That when we are adopted and the great I am became your father, all of his love, all of his might, all of his mercy, all of his grace, all of his glory filled your soul. You can't get more of it. Oh God, just give me more faith. Oh God, just give me more grace. Just give me more. You have it all. The very one that flung the stars in space. The very one who holds the hottest sun in the sky in his hand. The very one who put the moon in space for us to see at night. The very one who keeps your heart beating and causes you to blink. The very one who you can't live without moment by moment the most powerful being in all of history and all of the universe, God himself has given you himself. All the while, and while the worst thing that you can do as a saint is live in ignorance, of the enemy constantly attacking you, the worst way to live as a saint is in such a way that the glory and the grace and the love of God is not in you. Wake up, saints. This is the gospel. This is the truth. This is the only truth that we have in this world. Everything else is not truth. Everything else is marred by sin, but this is pure and it's holy. This is God. And in Christ, God gives us the power to work for him. He gives us the pardon to rest in him and both have favor. And God's children should prize them both because not a single second of your life is lived outside the will of God. In Jesus, we find rest beneath our rest, a pillow under our pillow, comfort of soul surrounding the comfort of sleep. Such rest and comfort depend ultimately not on what you have to give or how you feel about yourself, but on what was given to you. And so even in the frustration and fertility and we feel about the day's end, there's mercy delivering us into a deeper rest than sleep could ever give. You see, <clears throat> theology serves doxology, not the other way around. We were created to worship and when we are in worship of him is when we sin the least, have the most peace, filled by the most joy. And God means to be worshiped, but not in ignorance, 
not in idle thoughts, not in coming to a country club every Sunday morning, but coming to worship him in fullness and in wholeness. And not just on a Sunday morning either, but every day. He wants to be known and enjoyed and praised for who he is. Which is why he doesn't just demand worship from his creatures, but first reveals himself to us that we might know him and therefore delight in him. Theology serves doxology. Theology is our study of God and doxology is our worship of God. And so we can worship God in our work and in our thoughts and with our conversations. We worship God in our work, in in our thoughts, and in our conversations, but we must be mindful. We must be mindful that though that work is not just work, thoughts not just thoughts, conversations not just simply conversations, they are what we worship. We worship money, So therefore we work. We worship ourselves. That's what we think in our thoughts. And we worship what other people think of us through our conversations. And if the day is spent worshiping these, then no wonder the night is spent trying to bridge the gap between God and you. The attributes of God, the great I am, the attributes, all the attributes of God and the great I am. Okay? And then the relationship of the Father, the attributes and the power and the glory and the might of God, and fatherhood. come together for his glory and for his grace and for his love given to you to you his child this divine simplicity that you were made to worship and he is the only thing deserving of worship and when your life is lived in worship the only uh, when your life is lived in worship of the only one deserving of worship, then your life will overflow with peace and joy and restful contentment. We can know God truly, but not fully. We can know God because he reveals himself to us and he reveals himself to us, not just in scripture, but through the Holy Spirit causing you to do good works in him and worship. Your life is not about what you do for a living. Your life is not about going to work each day, having dinner at night and going to bed. That's not what your life is about, so stop it. Your life is about worshiping God, your creator. And you do that through your work. 
You do that through your meals. You do that through your family. That's what your life is about. Our prayers should not be spent asking for peace and joy and contentment. Our prayers should be spent asking God how we can worship him more fully with our whole selves and our whole thoughts and how we can worship him with every drop of our blood, every strand of our hair, and every DNA cell on our ever-dying bodies. That's what our prayers should be like. Because everything in God is God. His attributes aren't merely qualities that he happens to have. They are essential to him. They are the descriptions that we give him as being his essence, his very nature, his godness. Because he simply is who he is. God knows, God loves and more specifically, God is himself and God knows himself. And God has revealed his very self to us for us to know him. That he took on the flesh and dwelled among us. And not only dwells among us, but loves among us. Suffered among us. And died among us. All of this we could not just come to know him, all this so we could not just come to know him, but actually be a part of him as his child. Let's actually take part in the kingdom and in his fatherhood and in his very image. You don't deserve it. but he gives it. And we do this all through the worship of the great I am for all generations to come because that's who he is. The heights of God's attributes lead us to depths of his love as the sun comes down from heaven and for our salvation the glorious excellencies of his deity are united to the diverse excellencies of his humanity. So that in Christ, the full range of perfections of both being human and divine are united in one person, Jesus of Nazareth, who is worthy of all worship, your worship. Our sleepless nights, our wasted days, and our sinful past, and our painful future are not ours only, but they are his. For all generations of believers, despite being surrounded by the enemy, despite not getting the job, despite the low bank account, despite the world closing in around you. The great I am is not only with you, he's your father. He is 
peace, the key to joy, the secret of contentment is all found by living a life of worship to your Father. That's who He is. He is your Father, the great I Am. Let us pray. O oh God, the God of our salvation, your attributes, too numerous to name them, too numerous to count. Your holiness, O oh God, unmeasurable, your perfection, unattainable. And yet, you brought forth your Son, born of a virgin. And became like us that we could become a part of you. That our eternity will be spent in perfect contentment and joy and peace. Because our worship will be perfect. There's no thank you that will be enough. There's no worship that will be worthy enough. There's just obedience and living a life deep within you that we may serve you with our all and worship you through our life and through our death and let us have that blessing to worship you in Jesus name Amen